0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctable.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. Good to see you all this morning. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for joining us online. We're glad that you have gathered with us this morning. We're looking forward to what God's going to teach us even more about this Idea of transform that we've been looking at the last few weeks. Before we get there, I just want to uh, give a little shout out. Last Sunday, my wife and I were uh, visiting our grandbabies in Texas, so we had a great time. But on our way home, we we caught the uh, the live uh, live stream of our teen service last Sunday, and what a great service that was! We were so excited, so proud of our teenagers, and uh, excited for what God's doing in their lives. Um, I'm grateful and help, happy for you parents that uh, are raising such great kids. And I'm looking forward to what God's doing in your families. Um, thankful to Josh and Callie and all the, the counselors. Just, to, just thank you to the Lord for what he did. So um, I just wanted to let you know that. I'm thankful to the kids and all that they, they've done. And I'm thankful for what God's going to continue to do in their lives. I believe what you saw last week is this word that we've been talking about. It's transformed in action. Right? We're seeing God literally change people's lives and these young people are letting God do something in their hearts and, and it's amazing what God's going to do with us. So that's where we're going to jump into again. We're talking about this word transformed and we, we find it in the book of Romans, chapter number twelve. Before we get there, just kind of back up where we started. A couple weeks ago we we finished up chapter 13 of Romans. And we've looked at chapter 12 and 13 together and how that, the theme all kind of ties together. So to do that, let's go back to the first verse of this section, chapter 12, verse number 1. As Paul begins this teaching, he says this. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... And that kind of sets the stage. What he's done in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans is he's explained God's mercies. He's, he's shown us how important God's mercy is in the fact that we it makes it very clear that we're all sinners. We're, we're separated from a holy God. We, we have no, we don't deserve God's mercy. We've done that which has made us enemies of God, but God in his grace, in his mercy sent his son to die for our sins and in that gift that he's given us his mercy has overflowed in our lives to now make us one of his kids forgive us and to give us eternal life what he's saying is if you've experienced this mercy so if you're this morning and you've been a part of that you've experienced God's mercy you know his salvation you know you're one of his kids um, and if you don't I hope that before this day is over that that becomes a part of your, your life story but if you've experienced this in view of God's mercies he says, here's what we're going to do. Offer your bodies then as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You've experienced God's mercies, and, and he's changed your life, or he's changing your life. So the best thing, your worship, would be to give, just give your life to him. God, you've saved me now. I'm all yours. And you give your life in that form of sacrifice. Then he continues, verse number 2. And he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be, everyone say it with me, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we've been talking about. The way we think is going to make us, uh, that that determines the way we're going to act. And he's talking about this change that God is making, transforming us. But today I want to focus on the last part. The verse goes on in in chapter 12, verse 2, then once you, your mind is transformed, your thinking is transformed, you'll be able to test and approve. One version says it this way, by testing you may discern, here's what, he's, what he says, here's the result, you'll be able to discern what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What he's telling us is that the, the philosophy of the world, the things that you're going to look around us in culture, that that philosophy, that's going to distort things. It's going to defeat you. It's going to actually ultimately destroy us if we stay on that path. But if we allow him to transform our thinking, to let us look at things through, as we saw in the video, through God's lens, we look at things through God's plan, or as he uses the term here, God's will, then we'll be able to see the way that God has for us, the design that he has. It's his will that's important. And as he refers to it, it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. It's the will that God has for us. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at the guy who wrote this this passage, the the Apostle Paul, and how that he not only taught these things, he lived these truths. And he, he lived what it was to see things from a transformed Perspective, And so here's what we're looking at today. We're talking about transformed, discerning uh, God's direction or knowing God's will, you could say. And, and here's a question right off the bat. I'm going to ask you several today to consider. One is this, do I really care? Do I really want to know what God's direction is? Some would just seem to kind of be oblivious to the fact that there is a plan. Do I want it? And if I do want it, will I respond to it once I hear it? What am I going to do with that, that information once I have it? So here we'll, here's what we have with Paul. We're going to take an example of this man who's teaching us to be transformed, how he lived it. How did he live this idea of knowing and living according to God's will? And that's exactly what Paul's life shows us. Paul in, in, was introduced to us in Acts chapters eight and nine, and in chapter nine, talk about a life change. I mean, God moved in, and he was going this direction. He's now going this direction. Literally transformed the way that Paul's the directory of of Paul's life and and he he was once a persecutor of Christians now he is one and he's teaching about that right complete change but what God does then God then calls him to share that message with others and we begin to see how Paul's living out this very this very thought of living according to the will that what God wants me to do. Let me give you an example. Acts chapter number 16 they are on their uh, one of their journeys, he and his, and his associates, and, and they're, listen to some of the specifics. Now, you may not recognize some of the towns he mentions. We're not talking about Decatur and Awanaco here. We're talking about some towns you may not have been to, but I want you to see some specific direction that God gives. Look what he says in Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Have you ever been there just, just asking? Phrygia or Galatia? Okay. All right, so you don't, but you recognize where he's at, a specific town or a specific area. Going to uh, to Galatia, notice this. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, there was a specific leading that God said no to that direction and yes to this direction, knowing God's will. Look at the next verse. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Would not allow them to enter. So again, a specific direction, specific place, and yet God says no to this place. Yes, specifically knowing God's will. In fact, you go down to verse number ten, and and He and His His. his uh, traveling companions, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. Notice, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Specific direction about knowing right where God wanted them to be, concluding this is what God's will is for us. And that becomes characteristic of the way Paul lived his life, the way Paul did his ministry. He was going to be where God had called him. He was going to know what God's will was for his life. In fact, At the end of his second journey around the then-known world, he tells his friends in, in Ephesus these words, chapter 18 and verse 21. But as he left, he promised, Paul said, I will come back if it is God's will. Now, he wasn't just throwing that in like the end of a phrase. That's what he literally meant. I'm coming back if that's what God's will is. His life was, I'm going to follow, to do what God's will is for my life, And then you move to chapter number 20, and it's interesting that the first part of this chapter actually says that on this journey, well, l- let me go back to chapter 19, because this becomes real significant, because Paul says, uh, he makes a statement, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, now we see Paul's living according to God's will, and he decides this is what God's will is, and he goes on and says, passing through Macedonia and, and, and Achai, and he says, after I've been there, I must go to Rome also. So Paul's saying specifically, this is, I want to live where God wants and do what God wants me to do. I'm going to, and specific direction in his life. But along that journey, he's going to Jerusalem. Ultimately, he's going to go on to Rome. And he, as he begins that journey back, we get into chapter 20, and he actually stops, the Bible tells us, for three months in, the, in Greece, now I throw that in because it's interesting. Why he stopped three months? Why I'm going to Jerusalem, and Rome? Why would he have this interruption? The the best thing that we know is according to context and according to scholars, those three months is when he actually wrote the book of Romans that we're studying in the, this series. It was everything he did was purposeful. There was a reason why he was there, and for three months he's writing one of the most famous books of the Scripture along his journey to go where God has called him. Right. So now he's making this journey. He's coming from where he is back to Jerusalem. Remember, that's where he knows God wants him to be. And he calls some friends together. Some friends that this had to be a hard conversation because he'd been with these folks for two and a half years or more. He calls them together, and he's going to explain to them his journey. And here's why I want us to focus this morning. Starting verse 22, the Bible says this, And now, compelled by the Spirit, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, this is what I'm called to do, and he's telling his friends, this is what's going to happen in my life. Now, some of you would say, perhaps, or maybe you hear people say, yeah, well, that was Paul. I'm not, I'm not Paul. I'm not a Bible writer. I'm not an apostle. I, somebody would say, I'm not even, I'm not a preacher. That's what preachers do. That sounds like preacher talk. I'm just a, and, and you fill in the blank, whatever you are. I'm a, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a teacher, I'm a farmer, I'm a truck driver. I, I am just a, and you fill that in. And some people say that as if knowing God's will is not as important for you as it would be for, say, a Paul or a preacher. Here's what I want to make sure you take home today, and that is that knowing God's will for your life is critical for every one of us as a follower of Christ. Knowing and living in the will that God has designed and that God has planned, that is critical nature for all of us as God's people, regardless of who you are. The question is, how can we know that? Is it possible to live the way that Paul lived every day of uh, of our lives? The the fact is, God says it's important, and he also, I believe, shows us that it is possible to live this kind of a God-discerned will for my, my life. So here's what I want us to do. There's four or five things I want us to grab from this passage that I see Paul teaching us about the way he lived in God's well, the first one, this transformed thinking thinking, starts like this: "I am living, Paul would say, with a new internal urgency. Inside of me, there's something driving me to do this. Here's what I know. Every one of you, there's a reason why you get up in the morning. Now you may not particularly like it. <laughs> it may be a job. It, it might be, I, you know, it could be just, you got to get it, whatever it is, you may not be fond of it, but there's a reason. There's a reason that gets you up in the morning. Here's what Paul's saying. There is a reason I do what I do. Listen to the way he says it again, verse 22. I and now, I am compelled by the Spirit, and because of that, I'm going to Jerusalem. This wasn't because of something I just thought was a good idea. I am compelled. That word compelled, you might circle. It's a very powerful word. The the other translations, your version might say, I am constrained by. Or even the word, I am bound by, like as if I am tied to this. In fact, the next verse talks about his hardships, his imprisonment, And that word prisons is actually a word that some translations, it's shackles, it's bonds. He says, I know what's coming. There's there's shackles in my future. So now it's like a, a play on words here. He's saying, I know that bonds are possibly in my future, but the truth is I'm already bound. I am already, but what Paul's saying is I don't see any other option in my life it's not about you know A and B it's about what does God I am compelled I am bound by what God has called me I'm under the, the moving at the discretion of the Holy Spirit in my life whatever he tells me to do that's what I have to do that's what Paul is saying I'm under that kind of, of internal urgency does that characterize our lives that I really I, I my life is characterized by just what does God want for me first and foremost if you look back in Paul's life, again, history tells us that's how Paul's life has gone. It started in Acts 13 when he and his friend started their first journey. And there, It tells us in the first few verses that the church of Antioch, they were worshiping, they were getting things together, and they sensed the Holy Spirit telling them. And here's what it says, verse 2, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. The church was called, and that's what churches do. Churches are called to take... God's people to equip them, to train them, and then send them out to do what God has called them to do. You know, to whether that's here in their community or around the world, but to, to train them, to send them out. And then it tells us in verse 3, that's exactly what they do. They laid their hands on them, they confirmed them, and they sent them off. They said, okay, guys, go do this, right? But verse number 4 is critical because verse number 4 says, and the two of them, that would be the Barnabas and Paul that was sent out by the church, sent on their way. But notice, by the Holy Spirit went and went and did what God had called. You, you know, you say, well, I thought the church sent them out. They did. But ultimately, behind the scenes, it was the Holy Spirit that was sending them. And this becomes critical, that they weren't being compelled by someone's opinion or by their own feelings. It was the Holy Spirit from the very beginning that said, do this. Now, the church was there to confirm that. The church was there to do their job. But truly behind it all, that was the Holy Spirit, and that's the way Paul lived his life what does the Holy Spirit say about what I'm going to do today? what does the Holy Spirit say about where we should go or what I should do or what I should that's the way Paul lived his life. Go back to our verse with us again, talk about now I'm compelled. He said, now I am compelled by the Holy Spirit and we're going to go to Jerusalem. But there's another translation I want you to see because there's something in it that's really interesting. First it says, uh, now I go bound, there's our word, compelled, bound, shackled, right? But keep reading, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Do you notice anything? Those aren't typos, okay? The first uh, translation has a capitalized spirit, big S, right? So it's the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about. But that other translation, it's, it's a small S. That's the spirit, your spirit in you. So you say, well, what? somebody make a mistake, you know, a translation error. Here, here's what you got to understand. Context tells us very clearly that whatever Paul did, he did because it was the direction of the Holy Spirit in his life. And so if you were to say, is Paul saying here that I'm I'm going because the Holy Spirit leads me or because my spirit within me is saying that's what I need to do? My answer would be yes. Because here's what we're learning. Paul was so driven by doing what the Holy Spirit wanted him to do that i believe before long his very his nature his personality everything was drawn was bent to the fact that i don't want to do what i want to do anymore my spirit within me is saying i want to do what god wants me to do what a great transformation the idea is yes the holy spirit but it wasn't like the holy spirit was interrupting his life and he had to get his attention he was so in tune to what the holy spirit was saying that his very spirit was was saying and listening to the same things that the Holy Spirit was saying in his life. That Holy Spirit had bound him, had compelled him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul puts it this way, for Christ's love compels or constrains or controls us. Literally, Paul's saying, this is why I get up in the morning, to do what God has told me to do. That's what he means by, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. But some of you, some again will say, well, that's, that's Paul. That's preacher talk. That's what ministers say. But, but I want to encourage you, that's, that's who you are as a follower of Christ. Now, your paycheck may be signed by state of Illinois or some business. That may be, they, they may have their, their insignia on the, the check that helps pay your bills, but you don't, as a Christian, that's not who you work for. You're a servant of the King. He may use that business to pay the bills. You're truly a follower of Christ. You're his servant. You are under his direction. And we need to get closer to the fact daily that we're living like Paul did, that I am compelled by the Spirit. So a couple questions. What is it that you're compelled by? You do get up for a reason. What compels you to do life? Is it that, that paycheck? Is it the, the the stuff that you enjoy? Is it a bigger retirement? Is it being comfortable? Is it the pursuit of happiness is it uh, is it some kind of success? What is compelling you to do what you do? Paul would tell us that what we need as Christians is our daily lives to be compelled by the Holy Spirit to go where he has called us to go to do what he's called us to do on a daily basis. Will I let myself be compelled by that's what Paul gets. us. His whole internal urgency was different. That's what it means to be transformed. But if we keep walking and going through this, what we know is Paul is, is showing us how to transform, to follow Christ. So here's our uh, thought that I want us to get. Following Christ is always a step. And I want to stop right there because there's a couple ways we could fill in that blank probably a lot of ways, I want to consider two today. Following Christ is always, first of all, a step in the right direction. Following Christ is really what we want to do. That's your best best route, following Jesus. He set us up to know that whether we understand it or not, if you want to know the right way, following Jesus is it. And from the very beginning, that's how Jesus called his disciples. He said in Matthew 4, he said, follow me, And I will make you fishers of men. It was very simple. Just follow me. You you want to know the right way to go? Well, just just follow me. And and I love that. Jesus didn't give him a map. He didn't give him a a handbook and say, read this and learn it. He said, just, you you see me go? Just go with me. (laughs) Follow me. You see me head that direction? Then what direction do you go? You go that way because you're just following me. It Makes it very relational makes it very intentional. You're making a decision to follow Christ. It makes it very purposeful. It makes it very transforming because now Jesus said, "I am going you follow me and I'm going to make your life different. I'm going to show you the way that you should go." Let Jesus keep your eyes on Jesus and just go where he goes. It's very simple, isn't it? That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's always a step in the right direction. It's simple. But is it easy? Here's a second way I would fill in that blank. Following Jesus is always a step of faith. To go where Jesus wants you to go is always going to be something that that may be, I I, I don't want to give it a bad connotation as it's 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 ugly. It's a fact of something that may be difficult, bigger than what we could ever imagined. We keep reading in this verse. Look how he, he says, I, I I know what I'm gonna where I'm gonna go. He's very clear, Jerusalem and ultimately Rome, but look at the next phrase. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I know this is where I'm gonna go. I know this is what God has called us to do, but I don't know really what's going to happen at, at that point. Now I don't know if that kind of phrase some of you in this room, some of you watching uh today When you hear those words, that may be kind of, you know, disconcerting a little bit. Ooh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But let's be honest. For some of us in this room, including myself, that makes my heart skip a beat. (laughs) To not know what's going to happen. I'm, by, by nature, I'm kind of a thinking person. I like to think through processes. I like to plan things out. I, I, when we do a vacation, I, I want to know where we're going to stay, where we're going to go. I like to see the things in advance. Some of you are laughing because you agree with me. We're kindred spirits. You want to you see that. So when I see the words and you don't know what's going to happen, I go, oh, that's hard. That's difficult. But, but let me make sure you understand. What Jesus is trying to get us to is to, to walk in that idea, to take a step of, of faith. You see, here's the thing. What Paul's saying here really has precedent clear back to the beginning of the Bible. In fact, one of the first examples is a guy we, we know as Father Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. You know, Father Abraham, he had many sons, if you don't know the story, right? He had all, all this. It started with him, and his, his story is recorded in Genesis 12. But it's, it's repeated, it's described in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 this way. Look at this verse, Hebrews eleven eight. 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place where he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Now that's great. Abraham did it. But look at the next phrase. Even though he did not know where he was going. Okay, it wasn't even that he didn't just know what might happen along the route. He didn't know the destination. I can't imagine having that conversation with my wife, huh? We're going on a trip, don't know where we're going. We're just, he literally, God says, you go until I say stop. I'm not even telling you where the destination is. You just go and I'll tell you when you've arrived, when you get there. God is saying that that is that, in fact, in that book of Hebrews, he says that it is impossible to please God without that kind of faith. That becomes a, a precedent in that chapter of Hebrews 11, often called God's hall of faith, because other figures like Moses and David and the children of Israel, they, they would God would tell them, go, but he wouldn't give them all the details, and they were told to step out and to, to follow him, to go and to do what God has called them to do. And and. The one thing, though we go back to Paul, he didn't know exactly, verse 22, not knowing what will happen, but God did show him one thing. Look at the next verse, verse 23. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I don't know all the details, but here's one. It's not going to be easy. God never switches the price tags with, with his followers. He never shows us one thing and then shows and then deliver something else. From the very beginning, he says, follow me. But if following me, if you're going to follow me, it, it's going to require denying yourself, taking up a cross. There's going to, this isn't going to be an easy journey in this life, but it is, it is the best journey. But you've got to understand, God. But Paul, isn't it interesting, have you ever thought, why does God choose to lead us this way? Why, why does he choose sometimes to not give us all the, the information? Just take this step. Some, some have suggested, well, If you knew all the information, you probably would never take a step if you knew all that was going to happen, possibly. But Paul knew that it wasn't going to be easy. Prison was coming if he takes this step. And so it wasn't just God was keeping the bad part away from him, nothing nothing like that at all. Here's the primary reason why God doesn't give us all that, because he wants you to take this step based on trusting him and not trusting yourself. It's about if, if I can see it, and I can wrap my brain around it, then that means I have a little bit of control over it. You see, my, my fears about wanting to do things, I, I, some people would say I'm afraid. Some people would say, well, you you're, you're just want control. I think it's wisdom. I think it's preparation. I like to be prepared. Here's, here's what God is saying. I want you to trust me. Because here's the other thing. If I can see it or wrap my mind around it, that also means it's limited to what I can see and think. But God's saying, I got something bigger for you i got something more in mind for you. I've got something that I want you to do, but it's going to be bigger than what you can do. It's going to be something that when it's done, only God gets the credit for. You're going to have to trust me. Do you trust me to take this step into an area that maybe you don't completely understand? And that comes our question. Will I I trust God to take this this step of, of faith? A New Testament example you might recognize, a guy named Peter was in a boat, he and his friends, they're going across this, the sea, and storm came up, pretty, pretty severe storm. They're kind of worried by it, and they're, they're struggling with it. And when all of a sudden, they look off to the side, out into the water, and Jesus is walking on top of the water. He's not surfboarding. He's not swimming. He's walking on top of the water, right? That's, that's pretty incredible. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but basically, Peter sees that, and he goes, that's cool. Jesus, can I do that, right? Now, I don't know if G- Peter maybe didn't expect this answer, but here's what Jesus said. Sure, Peter, come on out and join me. Okay, now from that point on, Peter's got a decision to make because it looks good to, to walk on water until you realize you've got to get out of the boat to do it. You've got to take a step into something you can't do. I can't walk on water. I can't make that happen. Do you trust me, Peter, to do what I just asked you to do? That's what God wants us to do. He wants to do something in our life, but it's going to be something that's going to trust him rather than trust our own ability, our own, our own ideas. In fact, chapter 21 of this book of, of Acts, when, when Paul keeps moving towards Jerusalem, the journey continues past this statement and the next chapter everywhere he stopped people kept telling him paul you don't do you sure you want to do this and they kept warning him in fact god told them if when paul gets to jerusalem bad things are going to happen and they talked about the persecutions and the imprisonments and and everywhere he stopped they were saying paul don't do this don't do this until you get to verse number 13 where where paul says in chapter 21 he says why are you weeping and breaking my heart i'm ready not only to go bound But also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Guys, I know that this is ahead of me. And so the next verse, I love verse 14. He says, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Paul, Mr. Stubborn, said, listen, dudes, this is what I know God has called me. I'm going to do it but I don't think this is facetious. It wasn't, well, the Lord's will be done, as if that's, they're, what, it, it, I think they're really learning that that's the way Paul lived. He believed this was God's will for his life, and he was willing to put his life on the line for that, and they said the, the Lord's will be done because that's always what's best. That's the way you step in faith. I don't know, and it may, I may also know it's going to be difficult, but I'm going to do it because that's what God has called me, which leads us to this next verse. However, Paul says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What he says is what really matters is faithfully pursuing God's mission for my life. God has a plan for me, so what matters most is that I discover, I find, and I do what God has called me to do. Paul wasn't a, didn't have a death wish. He wasn't being reckless with his life. He took care of himself, but he was simply saying, when it comes to following Jesus, I, I've already surrendered everything, even if that means my life, which that could literally be what happens. He said, it doesn't matter. What matters is God's put a mission on my life, and I'm going to do it. In fact, in Philippians 1, he put it this way, for, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. It's even better. Sure, my life right now is to do what God wants me to do, His will, If I die, you can't threaten me with death. I'm going to see Jesus. It's a matter of I'm simply the the big important thing in my life is to do what God has called me to do. He said, and my aim is to finish the race. That was a phrase that Paul used often in his writings about we're in a race, and it starts at our conversion, and it will last for our, our lifetime. He goes on to say, and to complete the task that God has given me. In fact, in Philippians chapter number three, he says it this way, I haven't obtained it. I haven't arrived. I've still got work to be done in my life, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that last phrase. He said, God grabbed me for a reason. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been grabbed by God for a reason. He made you on purpose for a purpose. He's got a design for you. He's grabbed you. And Paul said, and I'm going to do everything I can to find out why God grabbed me and go after that because that's why I was made. That was my purpose for living. Verse 14, so I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said, my life's bigger than my job, my career, my education, my success. It's bigger than that. What's, what's important is I do what I was made to do. I do what God has called the mission that God has put on my life. Everything comes back to that. Every once in a while, I, um, I point out a song that has been kind of special to me recently. And I, I heard one. I, I think it's fairly new. The title is What Ifs. And the singer is Matthew West. There's a lot of great words in there. But let me point out a, a one, one sentence I thought was so powerful. He said... My biggest fear is waking up to find what matters is miles away from what I spent my life chasing after. Wouldn't that be incredible to realize I've been going the wrong direction? And I've been doing it hard and fast and with everything I got, but it really was totally miles away from where I needed to be. So he ends up, is my story going to have the same two words in every chapter? What if, what if? Am I going to end my life and look back and go, what if? Now, what if, you think about it, it's not necessarily a bad phrase. It it can be a good evaluation tool. You're looking at things, well, what if this happens and I can kind of work things out. But sometimes what if can get in the way of doing what we need to do. What if a fear... If you you know this is where you need to go, but then you start what ifing it to death. Well, what if this happens, and what if this, that, and what if they don't, and what if we, and what, if, and and so then we we back off because the what ifs have got us too afraid, or what ifs, as in Paul said, what if, the what ifs of regret. What if we get to the end and we look back and say, what if I had done all, what if I had given my, what if I had done what God had called me to do, what, and he said, I don't want my life to end that way. I, in fact, the the final sentence, no regrets in the end. I want to know. I got no what ifs. Sometimes we call that carpe diem. Seize the day. Paul called it, said it this way, make the most of every opportunity. You've got a reason why you're breathing today. So God's called you on mission. God's grabbed a hold of you. Everything you got, give it to what God has called you to do. And then Into verse 24, he actually describes what this mission looks like. Look what he says I want to complete the task, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Proclaiming, testifying, speaking up about God's mercy, God's grace in our lives. Here's two things we learn about this mission that Paul describes God's mission is both universal and it's unique. It's universal in this sense, testifying to God's grace. That's for every one of us who's experienced God's grace. If you've been changed by God, then it's our, it's our privilege, it's our opportunity. It is part of our mission to tell others about what God has done and to testify, your friends, your coworkers, to live a life in such a way and use your words in such a way so they know that God is real because your life says that, because your, your mouth says that. We are there universally. We're just like Paul. It's not just a preacher thing. It's not just an apostle thing. All of us as God's people are called to testify. Here's a translation. Maybe it'll help us even see it more practically we talk about the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace look at this this translation the job the master jesus gave me of letting everyone i meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of god does that make sense that you as god's per, per people or simply, every person you meet should be able to see God is real based off your life and your words. You are here to testify. That's universal. All of us of God's people have that mission. But it's also unique. It's unique because the way that God does that in each of our lives is going to look differently. The way God uses your life to testify is going to look differently based off your about your, your talents, your abilities your personality all those things god has given you your your experiences your circle of friends your circle of influence all of those things so how god uses you is going to look different it's going to be unique but the mission comes back to the same that your life glorifies him and brings others to follow him it's all about doing what god has called you to do it's universal unique here's what i find very interesting remember what paul said my aim in life is to finish my race in fact some translations say, finish my race with joy, knowing that that's what I've been made for. So my fulfillment in life is not doing what I want. It's doing what, finding what God wants me to do and do it because it's, that's the fulfillment of life. He says, that's what I want to do. And so when he comes to the end of his life, 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's about 10 years or so after he writes those words in Acts. And as far as we know, these are the last words that Paul wrote. Could be days weeks before he actually is martyred for his faith. And listen to how he wraps his life up. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, Paul didn't say, I did this all perfectly. I never made any mistakes. Of course not. He was human. But he says, in looking back over my life, I did, I found what I was supposed to do, and I did it. I, I finished it. It's universal. Do you notice it has that, that word, the, in front of it. There is the good fight. There is the race. There is, there is the faith. There is this thing that, that all of us share, this mission. But it's also, Paul said, I, I did what God made me to do. And verse 8, he says, and now I know there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. The righteous judge is going to give it, but not just to me, to all those who love this appearing. It's for all of us to finish this race and to meet God and, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Paul was looking forward to Christians, this ought to be our motive. God, I want to finish my race, and I want to finish it well. And I'm not much of a of a car racing guy. Some of you are probably more into car racing than I am, but I've had a habit over the years to be have an interest in one particular race. Happens every year, and usually in May, and that's called the Indianapolis 500. You may recognize that name, right? Okay. Indy 500, big race, just all this publicity. Some of you who are car people and watching or in here will probably remember this particular historic event. Sunday, May 30th, 1999, Indianapolis 500. The racer, the IndyCar racer was Robbie Gordon. And Robbie Gordon was just minutes away from, from the dream of his life, to win the Indianapolis 500. He had gained the lead in the race at lap 171. And there's 200 laps. So for the almost 30 laps, he is in in the lead. He is the one to win the race. In fact, he enters lap 198. He's less than two laps away from winning the Indianapolis 500. On this day, he can see the checkered flag in his mind, right? And anybody knows what happened? He ran out of gas. He took a risk that he could make it, and with less than two laps to go, he ran out of gas and lost the race. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine what's going through his mind at that time? Do you understand? Here's what Paul's saying. I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize I ran out of gas before the end. I don't want Paul, people, I, I would say with, with Paul, I don't want people to look at me and say, well, he, he did pretty well, but ooh, towards the end, I want to finish the race, and I want to finish it strong. Because God has a task for me, I want to find it and do what God has called me to do. Let me take you back to the song that I was sharing with you. Here's what this song, What If, since I'm still alive and breathing, I'm still kicking, here's, here's what the song says, I'm going to dream a little bigger. I'm going to burn a little brighter. I'm going to stand a little taller, closer to your fire. I'm going to dig a little deeper, reach a little further, love a little harder. Because what if today's the only day I got? I don't want to waste it if it's my last shot. No regrets in the end. I want to know I got no what ifs. I'm running until the road runs out. I'm fighting it up. I'm lighting it up right here, right now. No regrets. In the end, I want to know I got no what ifs. In my opinion, that's a transformed way of thinking. No what ifs. I want to do this race. I want to complete the task. So when I get done, I say there's no, there's no what ifs. It's not about what I should have done. Here's the thing. You don't want to come to the end of life and say, what if I had followed Jesus with my life? What if I had received his gift? What if I had, as a Christian, given my life To his service? What if, as a follower of his, I truly went all in? I really went no what if lifestyle and just followed him. I don't want to get to the end and say, What if I had been on mission and really tried to complete my task? No what ifs. I want to do what God has called me to do here and now while I'm breathing because God has given me a task to do. That's what Paul's prayer was. This morning, I want to encourage you to consider what we've talked about. First of all, have you received that gift of eternal life to Jesus Christ? Do you recognize that, that all of us, according to Romans, are sinners standing before a holy God and we have no hope in and of ourselves. But Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven, so we could be free, so we could have eternal life, so we could be his children. That's his love for us. Have you received that gift? the worst thing in the world for you to come to the end and say, what if I had listened and accepted that? Would you receive that gift today? Jesus, save me, forgive me. I want to follow you with my life. You say, well, I have done that. If you're a follower of Christ, then can I ask you the question, are there any what ifs? Some what ifs of fear that are keeping you from following God and taking that step of faith? Or are there some regrets saying, well, what if I had, or what if I were doing? Would would you today with Paul say, well, it doesn't matter. The thing that matters most is that I do what God has called me to do, complete the task he's put before me. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, give you a chance to, to consider what we've talked about. And, in fact, if you're watching today, I want to encourage you, When this, after we pray, we're, I'm going to give you a practical illustration of, of this in, in, in our life. But I want to pray for you here, and now I want to pray with you. So I I give you this moment just to consider what God has said to you. Father, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you that you gave your life for us. And because of your sacrifice, we can have eternal life. We can have forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone that's listening in this room or listening online, if they've not yet received that gift, God, draw them to yourself. Let them recognize their need and come to Jesus for salvation. And Lord, challenge me, challenge us all to live this life with a know-what-ifs attitude. God, I want to give you my all. I want to complete the task. I I don't want to come to the end and say, I wish I would have, but to say I've given it everything. I've finished the race. God, please stir that in our hearts today. Let me give a moment to for you to pray, and then I'll, I'll wrap us up in, in just a moment together. Again, I thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us Thank you that your word is always true. I pray that you will stir in us that desire to live a compelled life, a life for your honor and your glory. We love you and we thank you. Give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, today's message was a challenge for all of us uh, to listen to and, and even respond to God's call, God's will in our, our lives. And, but I also want to share with you, it's, it's a, also a basic testimony of what God has been doing in my life, been doing in my wife and, and I, Shelly and I's life over the last several weeks. It's always been our prayer that we keep right in the center of what God has called us to do and, and follow his will, and we believe God has given us some direction about next steps for us. And so those next steps are going to be a dramatic, a significant change for us, but it's also going to affect Calvary in, in a significant way. So today uh, I wish to notify you officially as a congregation that I'll be resigning from my position as lead pastor at Calvary. Shelley and I have accepted um, a role as missionaries with uh, MANA worldwide. Um, The work of missions has always been something that's close to our hearts. We've always supported missionaries, prayed for them, and we believe God's opened the door now for us to be actual missionaries ourselves. So uh, our initial role uh, will be, once we've raised our personal support, we'll be working with missionaries and churches specifically in the region of East Africa. Um, we'll be based out of the home office, the Manus International offices in Fort Worth, Texas. So we will be re- relocating to there as well. So we're truly excited to see what God's going to do for us. Um, but this change comes with a mixture genuine of excitement and, and sadness. The sadness is because um, we'll no longer be pastoring this, this wonderful church. And I want to thank you for the opportunity to be your pastor for the last 11 years. Um, It's been an incredible privilege for our family. God has done a lot of things, and it's been great to work with our leaders, paid and volunteer. Um, We've seen the Lord work in many ways, making disciples that make disciples right alongside you. So we, we really do appreciate that. But we know the Lord's still working in us, and he's still working in you. And for that, I borrow the words of Paul, he who began a good work in us will will complete that work until the day that he comes. So here's the thing. If I know God's working in us, I know he's working at Calvary. He's got still plans for you, and I, I'm i looking forward to what he's going to do in both of our futures. So that being said, our my last day as pastor will be August 15th. Um, I'll do everything I can in the next few weeks to help our leaders, uh, equip them, and Help them carry on effectively while they begin searching for a new lead pastor. Um, I have utmost confidence in our leaders, and I I pray that you'll be praying for them as well. Please please pray for us as we move forward, and I promise we will be praying for you. And I, I believe our friendship, our partnership will continue for the many years to come. So thanks again for the opportunity to serve at Calvary as your pastor, and may the Lord bless you. Um, I have communicated this information to our deacons, and they're already working, pr- making preparations to begin the process of calling a new pastor. So keep them in prayer as well as they begin this process. Uh, they'll, they'll be providing you with more information in the weeks ahead of how this process works. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm asking Troy Wagner, our chairman of the deacons, to come and close us out in prayer today.
1: This is a kind of mixture of emotions um if you've not been through this before it may be something new to you but um it is an exciting time for Pastor and Shelley they're, they they're uh following the Lord where he has led them um but God's still at work here God's got a plan for us as a church and um just just encourage Pastor and Shelley over the next few weeks be an encouragement be uh, be positive in their life. And that's what we're asking for. Uh, pray for us as a board as we, uh, look forward to what God has for us next. Um, I know our board's already been in prayer about that, um, as we've known that for a few weeks, but, um, we just ask for your, uh, prayer and support as we move forward. And, uh, we know that, that God still has great things to do here at Calvary. Uh, let's close in prayer today. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Thank you for Pastor and Shelley, and we just lift them up in prayer as we know you have something in great in store for them as they move on, and, and it is a mixture of emotions. It's sad, and, uh, but we are excited for them. We know that uh, you have them right where they need to be, and it's uh, exciting time for our church as well as we continue to move forward. Uh, We just ask for your guidance. Uh, We thank you for uh, the years of ministry that they've had here and uh, the influence they will continue to have uh, on our lives and on this community as they move forward. God, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house together. And we love you and uh, give us a great day in your name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.